Some say that ever against that season comes, wherein our Saviour's birth is celebrated, this bird of dawning singeth all night long, and then, they say, no spirit dare stir abroad. The nights are wholesome, then no planet strike, no fairy takes, nor which hath power to charm. So hallowed and so gracious is that time. My name is Abdiel Leroy, author, poet, narrator, voice actor, all-round creative genius. Welcome to the Poet Prophetic Podcast and to the Christmas season. I started off there with a few lines from Hamlet. Each episode I announce a book giveaway for the following Friday, coming up at the end of this episode. I also read excerpts from my audiobooks, and here's a sample collection from Elijah, my 12-book epic. Elijah's life, as he alternates between triumph and trial, is a storyteller's delight. In one episode, he is single-handedly defeating hundreds of false prophets in a showdown on Mount Carmel, and in the next, alone in the wilderness and praying for his own death. And then, of course, there is his spectacular exit, ascending to heaven in a chariot of fire. He called down fire, and false prophets slew, conversed with heaven's angel, raised the dead, summoned the rain, met God Almighty, who, having sent wind and fire, whispered instead. Beneath the juniper of fragrant breath, its scant shade bringing comfort nonetheless, a long-locked man collapses, prays for death, a fugitive alone voicing distress, all hope abandoned in the wilderness. It is enough now, Lord, I can no more, and lays his head upon the desert floor. Now take my life, he whispers as he peers up to the leaves whose flittering shadows play across his sun-seared countenance. His fears somehow to sleep surrender in dismay. At times, God will a man of faith assay, and so provoked will this one protest much, yet wakes he now unto an angel's touch. The Lord instructed me to turn eastward and hide by Cherith Brook, where he'd commanded ravens to feed me. Late in the afternoon arriving there, I sat to listen to its murmuring voice, of whose clear stream I was to drink, when on the bank across from me, a lovely maiden, arrayed in loose white robe, came down the slope. Exquisite beauty, slender and dark-eyed, though of her many virtues, most I loved the long and raven blackness of her hair, which now into a loose knot she tied up. She sang as if in duet with the stream, then Deeper in we walked, 
and I could hear the running brook that curved around us to the right, enchanted scene, where bright-plumed birds adorned the nearby branches, and butterflies were dancing on the wing. We reached a clearing where a gentle mist, breathed by a nearby waterfall, descended. You may rest hidden safely here, she said. Let us therefore prepare thy forest bed. I wondered how she knew, unsought-for ally, that I needed concealment. I began to sense in her some quality not of this world, beyond intoxicating beauty, a gift from God incarnate in this girl. The ground being dry and thickly carpeted with leaves and undergrowth, springy and soft, the overhanging trees a natural bower, we made a makeshift shelter, whereupon she entered it and lay down on her side, eyes closed. Uncertain of my course, I sat outside, though there was space enough for me beside her, was about to look away lest stare intrusively, to contemplate the birds around me, see if I could name the species. But before I did, she stretched her hand to me, suggesting invitation. I put the boy on my own bed, and as I looked at him, my heart heaved. He'd been as a son to me. I stroked his hair, his cheek now cold, my tears falling upon his deathbed. Pity turned to rage. I cried out, Why, Lord, why? Why kill this life where so much love was poured, his mother's and mine? What evil hast thou brought on them, who gave me their last piece of bread and took me in? You've slain her son! It's not enough that I should grieve, but to be blamed as well for Medic's boyhood death? It's not enough that with this famine thou hast struck the land and made my name a curse? It's not enough that this place where I had comfort and shelter, this widow's house, is now become a tomb? She asked me, what have I to do with thee, O man of God? Nay, what have I to do with thee? The shaded parts were a carpet of moss, the air sweet-scented, rich with mist and rain, and the whole area alive with birdsong. Behind me was the entrance to the tunnel from which I'd come. This place was unlike any I'd ever seen. Another country, surely. Then, hearing footsteps, I looked up and saw a man stood by the edge, broad-shouldered, smiling, the shafts of sunlight mirrored in his eyes. He wore a tunic wrought of coarse grey cloth, and in his left hand held a wooden staff. Moses... I said, not knowing how I knew. He nodded slowly, then reached out his arm. I clambered up the steep and slippery sides to where he took my hand and pulled me up. They called me Moses in a former age. He answered slowly, Here, they call me Merlin. On the adjacent slope across from us, the false prophets of Baal, by their demeanour, loud laughter, glances, gestures, winks, 
appeared to mock us. Ahab seemed light-hearted too, joking among his fawning entourage, but stealing glances at his thronging subjects and me with anxious gnawing of his lip. After a while, he stepped into the clearing. People of Israel, he called, three years has drought ravaged our land. It was Elijah who brought this tragedy on us. A murmur arose among the crowd, and I could sense their eyes staring at me in rage or wonder. But he's come out of it all right, Ahab went on, dripping with irony. I heard he took up with a whore in Sidon. This had the desired effect, laughing and jeering, while the false prophets made obscene gestures. My anger at this lie was tempered by the opportunity for a great comeback to this fool of a king. Ahab went on. And having been in hiding all this time, living it up abroad while you were starving, the mighty prophet hath returned and says, King Ahab, let us have a meeting. Yahweh has something that he wants to say. Tell us, Elijah, what is it? What's so important that you would summon all of Israel and drag Baal's prophets from their cosy temples? Consummate politician that he is, he carefully avoided taking sides. So satisfied, he jauntily returned to his royal gathering, where, with smiles and nods, congratulation greeted him. With that, I took a deep breath, strode out, and began. People of Israel, you have heard your king blaming this country's woes on prophecy, not policy. But it is policy that hath so angered God. King Ahab also quotes rumour as to where I've been these years, saying I took up with a Sidon whore. Why would I? Do we not in Israel have Sidon whores enough? The crowd erupted at this allusion to Queen Jezebel, with cheering, whistling, hoots and boos, depending on whose side people stood. But I could sense the rage of Ahab and his court. I raised my arms to call for silence and continued. How long, O Israel, will you like drunkards stagger between irreconcilable opinions, neither hot or cold for Yahweh, your one true God who led you out of Egypt? If God be God, then follow him. If Baal, the idol of a foreign queen, be God, then follow him. The God who sends down fire is God. Thy cry as incense burned before the throne where bow the elders and there avow their worship. When you called upon the Lord, his voice through all the universes roared. He thundered in the heavens. At his call, ten thousand trumpets clamoured in the skies. His summons rang throughout the ranks that all the host of angels chanted their war cries.
Now, as Elijah's convulsions subside, he stares up to the darkening cope and sighs, when, noticing a raven at his side, the prophet's hopes again begin to rise, recalling they who came in this disguise. The bird, as birds will, looks at him askance, with beady eye returns his curious glance, when suddenly the raven on his chest alights, flurry of wings. The prophet turns his face away, closes his eyelids lest be slapped, but when his face upward returns, he sees a lovely woman. Passion burns fierce scarlet in her cheek, her eyes ablaze. Adina, says he, in raptured amaze. A slight grin she returns in answer, as her graceful hips she down his... The water still again, Elijah goes to tap the surface, when, without his aid, ripples appear, stir in unbidden flow. The prophet stands as all the earth is swayed, then runs for safety to the cave, afraid lest rocks above by this tremor sent down should fall on him and fell him to the ground. But sheltering, he hears the voice command, the voice that spoke when in the pool he stared. Arise, Elijah. At the entrance stand, I am about to pass by. The queen draws closer now. Warm is her breath on Ahab's cheek. You would not be to blame. She simpers, edging close her ample breast. Her hands, meanwhile, anew his manhood claim. Held thus, how readily the king gives in. I never could resist you, Jezebel. The ailing king, too weak to give commands, Tis Jezebel herself, the dowager queen, who from the seat of power issues demands, preys on Benaiah's lust, her old routine. Bring him to me, she says, while leaning forward, so that the soldier sees most of her breasts. I'll see to it, you reap a rich reward. Benaiah's leer, her sexual power attests, Buxom she is, though now in middle age, the soldier thinks. A piece of him, or all of him? He asks, happy to vent his rage on unarmed prophets for his mistress' call. Benaiah's brand of cruelty pleases well. The dowager smiles. I want him here alive. His curse upon the king hath lately fell, and we must break it. But you may contrive such tortures as will weaken his resolve, and thus deter his wonted insolence, that when he stands before me we may solve the king's affliction and make recompense. Only be sure, when coming back, let none observe a prophet bruised and bloody, lest supporters rise up to his aid as one, your course beneath the cloak of night were best. I understand you, lady, and obey. 
Benaiah says, Where shall I find this seer? Elijah last was seen not far away. Jabir will tell you, to the south of here. With parting bow too shallow for a subject, eyes flickering to the breasts of his desire, Benaiah takes his leave, his final object, to have the queen and monarchy entire. Their way now steep, the men dismount and stand upon Elijah's hill, shouting and jeering. Fifty to serve Benaiah's proud command, none questioning this mission, none God-fearing. The captains climbed a little way ahead, and most to entertain his fellows, shouts, Elijah, man of God, the king has said, come down. At this, the guard of fellow louts roar their approval, laugh and curse and sing. Elijah wonders if they drunk that morning, but parleys little ere his vengeance fling. Swift the rebuke and brief the deadly warning. If I'm a man of God, let fire descend from heaven and consume thee and thy men. There's a recurrent theme in film and song that each one has a one true love in life and having strayed away and chosen wrong returns to happy endings, husband, wife. With too much faith in destiny and fate it's starry-eyed, rose-tinted, overblown. Yet for Elijah by appointed date, love for Edina in his heart was sown at Cherith Brook. Since then, like infant wine, by Vintner's guiding hand matured and grown, perfected by the ministry of time, it has a healing quality its own. Savour remembered when loves reunite, expressed first through the eyes' awakened light. You have been listening to Elijah. The book is available on Amazon and the audiobook is free with a trial of Audible. Or you can get it at Amazon, iTunes, Kobo, pretty much wherever audiobooks are sold. To find out more, go to my website, poetprofit.com, where profit spelt P-R-O-P-H-E-T. Before I go, mark your calendar for the book giveaway on Amazon US and Amazon UK this coming Friday, December the 7th. It's going to be well-versed. OK, until next week, this has been Abdiel Leroy.